is Christian Questions. Promises are like crying babies in the theater. They should be carried out at once. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what's up, what's happening, and what are we doing here today? Well, Rick, our question this morning, are promises made to be broken? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. And so the question is, are promises made to be broken? Promises, promises. We've all made them, we've all heard them, we've all kept them, and maybe we've even broken them. Promises have always been an integral part of the fabric of any society, for they are truly the basis of trust and loyalty. When promises are kept, life is better and less lonely. And when they're broken, well, life gets to be broken as well. So if promises are so important, why are they so undervalued today? And I I think, Jonathan, that's the best place to start, is we are in a situation where we, I just look around at our society, and promises don't mean as much as they used to. They really don't. And Rick, uh, you're not in the studio. Where are you, and what are you doing? (laughs) I'm home. I'm not quite feeling as well as I should, and so... um, uh, So Trish wouldn't let you out. She wouldn't let me out, because she was afraid I'd contaminate the rest of you. Well, thanks for staying home. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Jonathan, we're talking about promises today. We want to define what promises are uh, from a dictionary standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, and we've got a fascinating walk through the whole world of, of, of promises. So let's get started. If you looked up promises in the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, what would it tell you? Well, Rick, it would say, a statement telling someone that you will definitely do something or that something will definitely happen in the future. Okay, so it's a very clear, very concise statement saying something is definitely going to happen. Right. And that's the key. It's it's the definite part uh, right there. Let's start out by going to a um, kind of like what I would consider to be a really good introduction for a a subject like this. Um, It's from gogoodgod.com. And it's, it's just a kind of an introduction about promises, about trusting God's promise, and what happens with promises. So, so let's go to that soundbite. Do, do, do promises mean anything to anyone anymore? I know that when I was a child, a promise meant everything. Promises were unbreakable, and anyone who broke a promise became highly untrustworthy. It seems that as I grew up, I came to know many people who broke many promises. Maybe you too know someone who broke a promise. Maybe some of you have lived your whole lives surrounded by broken promises. 
Perhaps it was a parent who said, I promise I'll do this, I promise I'll do that, and then never did it. They broke their promise. Do you remember how heartbroken we were as children hearing a promise breaking? A promise breaking and a breaking heart make a very similar sound. It's almost as if a broken heart and a broken promise go hand in hand. Wow, what a good point, Rick. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, I could not hear anything. Oh, well, it came through loud and clear through our headphones. Okay, um, anyway, if we can maybe fix that, because it'll yep. be important to, to try to, uh, to to get that. But, you know, it, it does. It gives you sort of a dramatic setting for the fact that promises get broken, and when promises get broken, we get broken as well. And, Rick, from a child's standpoint, it's a huge letdown, because the innocence expects someone to do what they say they're going to do. Yeah, you know, you're right about that. That's such a that's a, such a, a basic, basic point. You tell a child something's going to happen, and that child, therefore, without any thought, expects that that's what's going to happen. Exactly. And that's the way we're wired. We are wired to believe and to trust in one another. So promises really are a big, big, big factor uh, in our lives. So th- there are several words that are used for promise and, and, and other things in the, in the Old and New Testament. So, Jonathan, let's go to the, the Old Testament just Go over, just real quickly, a couple of words that are used that are translated promise in different places. Um, To say, to talk, to promise, to speak. Okay. And... Uh, the uh, the and, and the interesting thing about that is that word uh, I don't know how to pronounce the, the the Hebrew word but the word is translated speak eight hundred and forty times it's translated promise thirty one times so I want to I want to hold that thought we're going to come back to that and another Old Testament word um, what is, what the, uh, the word is translated promise you know is, is hardly used at all it's used like six times translated promise once word twice speech twice what does it mean it means something said. Okay, something said. So, now, let's give examples of the use of both of those scriptures. Jeremiah, uh, both of those words, I'm sorry, sorry, Jeremiah 33, 14. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and unto the house of Judah. Okay, that good thing which I have promised. Now, again, remember, that word is translated promise 31 times and speak. 840 times. So the, the the concept of speaking and promising, you can say that they're, they're, they're in a sense, from an Old Testament standpoint, they, they're interchangeable. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's going to be an important point as we as we develop this. Now, the other word that you, just, you mentioned, something said, just a couple of scriptures on that. Psalm 68.11, The Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. And the other, Psalm 77.8, is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forever? Okay, so in one scripture in Psalms, the Lord gave the word, and the other scripture is, does his promise fail forevermore? So, again, word and promise are interchangeable. There's an uncanny connection between a spoken word and a promise. In ancient days, your word was your bond. And Rick, that reminds me of, you know, how kings had words. The guys that took his declaration put it down on paper, or went outside and said, hear ye, hear ye, this is the word of the king. Yeah. Uh, it was solemn, it, it was, this is what needs to be done, so follow through with it. And it was just generally accepted that when a word like that was given, everybody would expect it to be followed through on. Exactly. So your spoken word 
was a reason for trust. And in our world today, your spoken word is not necessarily a reason for trust. And that's unfortunate. That's it is. unfortunate. Let's go to another soundbite. And, Jonathan, we're going to be coming back to this source frequently throughout the program. The source is Motel 168 TV. It's a talk on the, the evolution, if you will, of society and how we have gotten away from some of the very basic things that used to be. So this, this particular soundbite kind of tells us where trust comes from. Simply doing everything that you promise you're going to do does not mean people will trust you. It just means you're reliable. And we all have friends who are total screw-ups, and yet we still trust them. Trust comes from a sense of common values and beliefs. And the reason trust is important is because when we are surrounded with people who believe what we believe, we're more confident to take risks, we're more confident to experiment, which requires failure, by the way, we're more confident to go off and explore, knowing that there is someone from within our community, someone who believes what we believe, someone we trust and who trusts us, will watch our back, help us when we fall over, and watch our stuff and look after our children while we're gone. Our very survival depends on our ability to surround ourselves with people who believe what we believe. So his point is that our very ability to survive depends on trust. And that's important because he said something interesting. He said, you know, just because people do what they say they're going to do doesn't mean you trust them. It just simply means they're reliable. That's interesting. Yeah, but, but the core belief system is what creates trust between human beings. And that is where promises really, really come from. So promises, I think, are deeper than just uh, a, a basic sense of reliability. They transfer over into the category of being worthy of trust. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings for 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's subject. Go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and check out Facebook. And also you can email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. If you've had any experience along the lines of promises or broken promises, uh, give us a call at 866-985-4255. And there's a lot of experiences, Jonathan, out there with broken promises, I can tell you that. And it's a sad thing. Let's look at the let's look at the New Testament words. There's three actually three words that are very very closely con, uh, connected uh, to uh, this idea of promise that are translated promise uh, in the New Testament. And the first is an announcement for information, assent, or pledge, especially a divine assurance of good. Okay, now that sounds pretty good. Um, how is that used in Galatians three sixteen? Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Okay, so to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. We're going to come back to that later on in the program. But it's sort of an announcement, an assent, or a pledge. And that's a good way of describing what a promise is. Uh, The second word from the New Testament is just slightly different. Yeah, it means to announce upon, an engage to do something, to assert something respecting oneself. Okay, and an example of that one? Galatians 3.19 Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Okay, so the first one is, you know, talking about the one uh, 
focusing on God as the promise giver, and the second one is really focusing on uh, those who would receive the promises. Uh, but again, the same thing, to announce. And so when you announced something, it was a promise. And right. yep. you just don't do that anymore. We announce something, and we decide to change our mind at any time we want because, oh, well, nobody's listening anyway. And what a sad travesty of, of, of life that becomes. There was one more word in the New Testament, Jonathan. What does that mean? It means a self-committal. I like that. Second Peter 1, four, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right. So if that word means a self-committal, what this is saying is that God has committed himself to us, these exceeding great and precious things, that we might be partakers of divine nature. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> it is huge. It's, it, it's an amazing thing. Folks, we're talking about promises. We're talking about how they work. Um, we're talking about what's happened in our society, that they don't work nearly the way they used to work. We'd love to hear your thoughts and input on that. We're at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. And we are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as I'm looking at this, and I looked at the, 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 the Merriam-Webster online dictionary and, and the, the words used in the Old and New Testament, my own personal definition of a promise okay. is this. A promise is a decision to transform a stated intention into a reality. Oh, I like that. Say that one more time. A promise is a decision to transform a stated intention into a reality. And uh, again, when we look at that, what that means is this is something incredibly serious. It's something very, very focused that we have to work towards and work on. So, Jonathan, as we go into this break, uh, our whole promises are African society. What happened to them? You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are promises made to be broken? Coming up, a simple three-step process in keeping your promise. Do you want to keep your promises? By the way, what does concrete have to do with keeping promises? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are Promises Made to be Broken? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, that question, Are Promises Made to be Broken? Um, uh, Society should be focusing on promises are made to be guiding, you know, made to be guiding, made to be creating expectations in life. But instead, when we hear promises, I mean, you think about, you know, politicians, and this is not a political program, so we're not going to get into it, but how many times do you hear political promises? I don't care what side of the aisle they're from, and they're, they're, just, they're just words spoken that people want to hear so that you can get their attention. Right. And that's not what we're talking about here. A promise is supposed to be something very, very, very stable and very sincere. It's going to be like concrete, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's 
right. They need to be, you're right, they need to be solid and firm. They need to be a foundation on which we can build our lives. And if you are a promise keeper, that's what you have. You have a foundation on which you can be trustworthy and other people can build their life around you. Um, and now, here's the thing, Jonathan. Let's talk about, uh, in this segment, promises that we make to ourselves. Okay. Often we make promises to ourselves without even realizing. What we say when we talk to ourselves is a form of a promise, be it for good or ill. Our self-talk firmly guides uh, our daily attitude to the decision in life. It essentially is deciding what our intentions are and brings them to reality. So... One of, the, one of the first things I think of are New Year's resolutions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That comes to mind. Those are promises that are made to be broken. <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, yeah. And, and let's actually go to a, a CBS News soundbite with uh, Gretchen Rubin talking about, and, and you mentioned it before, three simple steps to keeping your promises. And these are keeping the promises you make to yourself. So let's start here. And you sort of came to these three steps of yeah. self-evaluating. Be concrete, think small, and hold yourself accountable. How do you do that? Well, the thing about like being concrete is a lot of times people, you have this urge to have a vague resolution, mm. like it, have an attitude of gratitude or enjoy the moment, but it's hard to hold yourself ac accountable for that, so it's better to say something like, I'm going to um, go outside every morning with my dog, or I'm going to pack my lunch every day so I eat healthily. So if it's very concrete, it's easier. Be concrete again. Yes. So should we not then filter all of that internal talk in a concrete way to transform it to a godly direction? Because really, our promises to ourselves as Christians ought to be in the format of making us more godly in our everyday life. That's right, more spiritual. Right, right, right. So rather than just think good thoughts or think spiritual thoughts, what she said, what Gretchen Rubin was saying there is you have to be specific. Well, it's interesting that the scriptures don't talk to us in generalities. They talk to us in specifics. And Philippians 4.8 is a great scripture that is specific in regards to our self-talk and our promising ourselves spirituality. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So when we think about something specific, something that is honest and just and pure and lovely and so forth and so on, when we think about those things, then that triggers our self-talk to be a different conversation than if we were thinking about other things. Good point. And that's how we can build promises to ourselves on a concrete foundation of, of spirituality. And the other part of that, Jonathan, is we have to decide where we're going to put our allegiance, where we're going to place our trust, uh, where we're going to place our personal promise. What am I dedicated to in my life? And folks, again, uh, we're specifically talking to you uh, as, as a Christian audience and asking the question to ask yourself, what is the most important thing in my life? And that is where your promise lies. It lies at the feet of what's most important. A great example of finding the most important thing and, and dedicating yourself to the most important thing uh, is in Joshua uh, 24, 14, and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, there is a line in the sand drawn there in that scripture. There really is. Choose for yourself today whom you're going to serve. It sounds like it's unmovable. Yes, and again, that's the concrete foundation that we keep coming back to. You make a choice, and then you, 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 you follow through on that choice. And so how do you keep your promises to yourself? Well, you have to really, really take a look at where your allegiance is. And, and Jonathan, unfortunately, I think, and this might sound like a harsh thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. In, in the lives of Christianity, a lot of Christians today, I think that we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we want to be spiritual, but in fact we're just going because it makes us feel better. Mm. And it's not really the most important thing in our lives. Gotcha. And because of that, you cannot make a promise to fulfill that spirituality, because you're not going to keep it, because it's not important to you. And this is not us looking at others and pointing fingers, it's looking at ourselves in the mirror. Right, right, saying, what is it that, where is my personal allegiance? Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about promises, in this segment we're talking about promises that we make to ourselves, we'd love to hear your, your thoughts, experiences, and ideas, Eight six. <laughs> Try again, Rick. 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning, live from 7 to 9. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's go back to that CBS News uh, piece with uh, Gretchen Rubin. She was talking about three steps, and the first step, was to think in a concrete way, think specifically. So let's get the next two steps. And if you do something small, it's easier than doing something big, like going to the gym for an hour. People get inspired to do that, and then they can't keep it up. So it's better to do like a 10-minute walk. And keep yourself accountable. You need to figure out a way to hold yourself to it. I use a chart where I check myself off, just like kindergarten, Mm -hmm. gold star or black check mark. (laughs) That's how I know whether I'm stuck to it. Absolutely. Behavior planning is fabulous. It's what keeps our kids doing the things we want to do when you're potty training a toddler. You're doing a sticker chart so that they keep doing what you want (laughs) them to do. The sticker chart works. And it works beautifully. The fact is, absolutely, you want to do the same thing when you're an adult and then give yourself a reward at the end when you do it for seven days. Why not? If it works when you're a kid, why wouldn't it work in an adult? great idea so i don't know how you feel about that jonathan but would you keep a sticker chart (laughs) (laughs) i don't know rick uh probably not (laughs) you know what there's something to be said for that basic idea of when you are keeping your promises or doing the right thing or going in the right direction there is a there is a physical sign that shows you you've done so Uh, i i know for me for instance you know i'm i'm self-employed and so being in business on your own means you have to find self-motivation to get things done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what I do is oftentimes, almost every day, I make a list with these little boxes that these are the things I have to do today. And I look forward to checking that little box off. And I like to look at my list with the boxes checked saying, ah, I've got three done. I've got four left. I can do this. And it really is a motivational tool in terms of, so it's not stickers. You know, I don't have little happy face stickers. <laughs> but I do get check marks, and I like check marks. Black so. check marks, all right. There you go. <laughs> all right, so 
in terms of doing something small, you know, the, that's what she said, and then keeping yourself accountable. In other words, don't try to promise the world when you know you're too far away from being able to deliver these things. Yeah, it'll fall apart right away, yeah. Right, right. And then, you know, what good is it? Again, it's another promise that's broken. And, you know, if we break promises to ourselves all the time, what makes us think we're going to keep promises to other people? Good point. So it really is, this is really the important place to start. Let's promise ourselves to grow one day at a time. Matthew six thirty-one to 34. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus was very wise in giving us that instruction. Basically what Jesus himself is saying is, look, don't worry about tomorrow and the next day, next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. Focus on today. Focus on putting your heart and mind in the right place today and focus on seeing God's overruling in your life today and let tomorrow come when tomorrow comes. And the two things that we were told to focus on is first his kingdom and then righteousness. Yes. So, so if that's our model, if that's what is in our, our forefront, everything we do should be in harmony with that. Right. Exactly. And again, where is your allegiance? That's where your promises can grow and flourish. Another example of, of you know, keeping yourself accountable is the example of the prodigal son. You remember the parable of the prodigal son. Oh, yes. And he goes away and, you know, life falls apart. And he's promising himself a course of righteous action as a result of his unrighteous action. Mm -hmm, I'm going to mm -hmm. drop in into the middle of the parable in Luke 15, verses 17 to 21. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? Okay, so here is now he's going to state his promise. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So that's the promise he makes to himself, and he journeys back home. And now he gets home, and he delivers that promise. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so he delivers exactly what he said he would deliver when he was talking to himself. He did indeed. And that is such a great template. He had, was in a very difficult situation. He made a solemn promise, and then he went and he delivered it. And it's not like along the way he started to have second thoughts, say, well, you know what? I'm still a son. I really do deserve more. And he should have never gave me, given me all that money then. Anyway, he knew I wouldn't mess it up. And, you know, he, you know, my father probably wasn't as, as, as mature and, and, and responsible as he should have been. I mean, he didn't go through all of that second-guessing. No, he didn't. He went back because his word was his bond. And that sounds so corny in our, in our world, but it is so true. Rick, this is, this is such an important subject uh, in our lives today because we don't see much of it around. We need to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, so that we have these steps before us, we have these examples of, of those that are showing us how to keep promises. 
you, you're right. Seeker Rewind, the full edition, is exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. It's something you sign up for. There is no cost. There is no op- We promise. There is no cost. <laughs> there is no obligation. It's just there as a Bible study tool for you based on our Sunday morning two-hour broadcast that we're doing right here now. And it gives you a sense of getting the information on paper, PDF file, if you will, uh, so that you can you can have it and and review it and really let it sink in. And the the graphics, the illustrations, the bonus material on things we don't even have time to cover. There's so much there for you. Yeah, and again, exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. Seeker Rewind, uh, the full edition. Sign up now. Uh, you're you're gonna love it. All right, so Jonathan, let's go back to that Motel 168 TV because as we go through this, we're gonna keep going back to this the source because he's going to lay out the history of promises and the history of trust in American society. And this is very, very important. When an organization is founded, all organizations are founded on the same basic principles. There's some sort of measurement. It's often money, but it can be anything. And then there's time. And when an organization is founded, what they do and why they do it are inextricably linked. They're usually some founder or some small group of founders that are able to put their vision into words and their passion inspires others to come and join them in pursuit of some, something greater than all of themselves. And they trust their guts and off they go and it's an amazing experience. So it talks about starting an organization, starting a movement, and you think of Christianity, you think of Jesus and the Apostles, and it's all pure right there because everything is new and it's focused and you have the actual founder right in front of you. And just one quick scripture, Jonathan, John fifteen twelve to 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That was the original premise of what Christianity is built on. And as we go into a break now, Jonathan, that helps us to focus on what we should be focusing on. But are we too far away from the original to keep that focus? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are promises made to be broken? Coming up, have you ever made a promise to God? Have you kept it? Was it based on emotion in the heat of trial? Should a promise to God last a lifetime? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are Promises Made to be Broken? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in the last segment, we listened to that soundbite uh, that gave us a sense of, okay, when you have a movement start and you have the originator there and the, maybe the core group of founders, you have a clear, clear, clear sense of what that's about. That's right. Okay? So we're going to keep that thought on the shelf for a second. Uh, let's talk about the kinds of promises that we might make to God. And the deepest and most serious promise we can make to God is what? It's a vow, Rick. Okay, what is a vow? Well, it's a promise to do or give something to God. Okay, and, it, and here's the thing. We can hear those words and say, okay, yeah, we can, we can make a promise to do or give something to God, and that's all well and good. But here's what it says in Deuteronomy about making vows. And when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it 
of you. And it would be sin to you, but if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. So, again, in our world, in our time, we say, yeah, I'm going to promise God this or that. And, and you know, you said something really very uh, profound uh, as we were going into that last break. You were talking about, um, you know, making promises to God in the heat of a, an emotional moment. Yes, in a trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, something happens. Oh, God, if you deliver me from this, I promise you I will. Da, 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 da. Exactly. And how many times has that happened? <laughs> yeah, and, and here what it's saying is if you make a promise, a vow, a sincere, absolute commitment to God, God requires it of you. You're accountable for it. Whoa. Yeah, deeply accountable. Not just partially, but deeply accountable for it. So that, that is a, an important part of this whole thing here. Um, let's go to um, a soundbite. Let's go back to uh, the Motel TV 168, Motel, 1- uh, Motel 168 TV, uh, and get more on that talk. On You start out with the, the original um, uh, founders, and you're, you're clear. Now, as a generation or a couple of generations go by, what happens to that clarity? The problem is, as they grow, as what they do becomes more successful, they can no longer rely on themselves. They have to now hire somebody who hires somebody who hires somebody who hires somebody who hires somebody who has to make a decision based on what. And what they do starts to grow, that metric. The problem is, why they do it starts to go fuzzy. And this is the biggest single challenge any organization will face. It's this thing right here, the thing that I call the split. Symptoms of the split inside an organization are when stress goes up and passion goes down. Symptoms of a split are things like when the old-timers, the people who were there from the founding, from the beginning, start saying things like, it's not like it used to be. It doesn't feel the same anymore. They can't quite put it into words, but they know it's not the same. Even though the organization might be more successful than it ever was in the past, it's just not the same. And that's powerful because what that does is that tells us um, how things grow, but then they stop growing and they get off track. And you can have things grow. And Christianity, this has happened to Christianity. Oh, it has. I mean, when Jesus was off the scene, then we had the apostles, then after that, disciples. And then, you know, it gets further and further from the origin. Right. And with each generation that, that, that comes on the scene, a new idea comes up and and the, the reason for the original idea gets skewed, and, and uh, it, it's not as clear. And the passion often reduces. Right, and, and that's the light of the original purpose growing dimmer. dimmer. Logically, our promise to God, to God would grow dimmer as well if we're in the middle of that. Jonathan, let's go to the phone. All right, well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. You promised last week you'd be here this morning. Here you are. <laughs> you kept your promise. Yeah, it's a cute saying, uh, you know, for what it's worth, uh, that to promise is to forget. <laughs> now, uh, I would say uh, fulfillment of a commitment defines character. Uh, I like the, uh, the uh, idea of, uh, you know, uh, analyzing uh, the, ma- uh, the marriage contract to me is one of the most interesting examples. Uh, you commit to uh, say that the man <clears throat> excuse me commits to uh, to be a husband subsequently he has to be a father and then he has to be a provider that's his commitment to the marriage contract 
And I think one of the reasons uh, society is decaying as it is is uh, the marriage uh, issue or the breaking down of the family unit. Uh, going to uh, God's part in this, uh, in one of the most interesting thing ones is uh, Genesis chapter nine, verses thirteen and fifteen through fifteen, and uh, there God promised Noah that He would never destroy society with, with water. Remember that uh, that yes. incident? Yeah. Now, uh, quick story here, a cute story. Years ago, I was working at a place among uh, 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 some very uh, uh, tough characters. You know, if I, if I showed any indication of, uh, you know, a reference to the Bible, they kind of scoffed and ridiculed me. So one day we were standing by uh, uh, the, near the river where I worked, and uh, uh, the... Uh, I mentioned the promise that God gave about the rainbow, and the man he, he you know he, he ridiculed me that uh, about the rainbow. So the next day we're standing at the same place, <laughs> and not one rainbow, two rainbows show up. <laughs> I think that pretty much confirmed confirmed what I was saying. But what a wonderful promise! God is always there and keeps His promises. I'm grateful for that. God bless. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Have a good day. Bye-bye. And, and Jonathan, I really like what Julie said. Fulfillment of a commitment defines character. And fulfillment of a commitment is simply keeping your promise. So, Julius, thanks so much for the several thoughts there. Um, in the New Testament, Jonathan, there's a word used for vow. Uh, and just let's go over a couple of scriptures, because it's, it's translated vow in some places and prayer in another place. And Acts 18.8. And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Cancheria, for he had a vow. Okay, so he shaved his head because he had a vow. He had made a promise to God about his personal dedication for a period of time, and so it's showing that he was, he was living up to that, the depth of that promise. And James 5.15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And that's kind of interesting. Prayer in that verse is translated from the same word as vow. That's interesting. So prayer is not just sort of a rambling on to God. It is a deep commitment to God. Yes. And that's... So again, folks, we have to make sure that we are keeping our promises to God. If we make a vow, you had better keep that vow. A vow is never to be taken lightly. It is the deepest form of commitment to God that we have. That's what the scriptures tell us. And again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Let, let's go back, Jonathan, to that Motel 168 TV, back to that talk, because you know we started out, he started saying, when you've got the founders on the scene, the passion is there, the reasons are there. As time goes on, growth happens, and there are now fuzzy values. Uh, and now he's going back and just trying to put it all in, in perspective. Other symptoms are when the organization starts focusing more on what the competition is doing and worrying less about what they are doing. When they start asking outs outsiders, who should we be? How should we talk to you? At the beginning, they never asked anybody. They ran on their own passion and their own energy. This is what happened in such organizations like Apple. 
1985, Steve Jobs left Apple, and the company went like this, and Steve Jobs came back. And Howard Schultz left Starbucks, and Howard Schultz had to come back. And Michael, left, Michael Dell left Dell, and Dell had to come back. Now, whether they're clear on their own whys now or not is yet to be seen. But the point is that these founders, these visionary guys, physically embody the reason, the cause, around which people showed up in the first place. And it reminds them why they come to work. And, uh, that is such a profound statement. And, you know, in Christianity, what we need is we need those around us who embody the very reason of Christianity. Good point. And it's hard to do, and we can see through the centuries how Christianity has sought for all kinds of ways to bring pagans in to become believers. Oh, I know. They changed holidays. They changed the names of holidays. Oh, unbelievable. And they included pagan ritual and holidays. Exactly. And so what they did is they watered down the original passion because it's, it's, oh, how can we make ourselves more appealing to you? And the original passion was, no, 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 no. We need to have a standard to which people will be drawn completely backwards. That's right. And, and as a result, we can see the, the mess that Christianity has made uh, over time. Our devotion to God is carried out in the fulfilling of our promised life of sacrifice. And again, where is your allegiance? Let's go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is a scripture about Christian sacrifice. Rick, I, I think that is the highest form of a vow that we could make to the creator of the world. And you're right about that. And, and the, the vow of sacrifice is something that we have to keep. Yes. Because we're held accountable to it. And you know what? We should never give up on that. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. So if you fall, it's okay. What are you supposed to do? Get back up. Right. Again and again and again, because that's the promise that we've made to God. Keep renewing the same vow that you made previously. Right. Let's go back to Motel 168 TV uh, one more time uh, for this hour. And uh, now, you know, he's talking about the organization starting with the founders and the, and the, and the focus and the clarity. And now he's going to go through time and history in America. And this is fascinating. We're going to continue this in the second hour. And the 1950s were defined by responsibility, going out there and giving the same kind of loyalty to your company as you gave to your country or to the cause. And we know what the 50s were like. Everybody gave and you devoted your life to the company. The problem is, as we started to become more affluent, and the wealth of the, of the country started to grow, that sense of purpose and that sense of cause and that sense of fulfillment and that sense of trust and that sense of happiness didn't grow with it. And this is bad. This is confusing. And so the 1960s, we responded to it. And in the second hour, we're going to see how we responded to it in the 1960s. And my hint is, it's not very good. <laughs> You're right. But see, Jonathan, there was this sense of loyalty, of the depth of loyalty. You know, that generation was called the greatest generation for a reason because they were loyal to a cause as a generation that was bigger than them. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have that cause that's bigger than you, the loyalty is not there. And, you, and, and once affluence began to kick in, the loyalty to something bigger than you just starts to kick out, if you will. So here are the results of a, la a lack of a laser focus for being, um, being present for everyday Christian life that is formed in the context of a very worldly background. Let's look very quickly before this hour ends. 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. And I, brethren, 
could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not, you are, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For one who says, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So the apostle is saying, you are not keeping your promise to fidelity to Christ. You're, 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 you're polluting it with all kinds of other things, and you're not walking as spiritual men, you're walking as fleshly men. And that is not where we want to be, that's not where we need to be. So folks, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about the kind of promises we make to each other, we're going to be talking about the kind of promises God makes to us, and again, remember, a promise is a decision to transform a stated intention into a reality. And the question is, how are you doing with that in your everyday life? Are you taking your promises seriously? If we're not on your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live and stay with us. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back after the news and all of that. But till then, promises, they're not made to be broken. What are you doing about it? We'll be back soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Somebody once said, the ultimate pessimist is made by too many broken promises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic on this fine Sunday morning? Well, Rick, our question this morning is, are promises made to be broken? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So that's the theme scripture. We're talking about promises. Uh, in the first hour, we talked about the kinds of promises we make to ourselves. We talked about um, a vow, which is a very, very serious and deep promise that we make to God. Which is a lifelong commitment. Yes, and uh, it's just it's something that, you know, if you, if you make a vow, the scripture says, you'd better keep it. Hey, Rick, um, we took a consensus here in the studio, and we think you just are trying to play hooky because you don't sound sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <laughs> you caught me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not that sick, but, you know, the, the thing is, it's got a little bit of a fever, and, uh, and again, my wife was very insistent that I not contaminate anybody. Well, that's a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, I've been better, and I will tell you that after I'm done here, I'm going to bed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back on to this whole thing here, Jonathan, uh, with, with promises. What kind of promises should we make to one another? That's, a, that's our, our, our theme for this particular segment. 
we want to get this started out with a uh, featuring uh, a gentleman by the name of Josh James. He was the founder of a company called Omniture. And um, this is a very, we're going to just visit this story. It's a very, very inspiring story about promises kept in business. And I'll tell you, when you think about business, that's a, an area that we think about promises broken all the time. Absolutely. So let's dro- drop in on uh, this interview with Josh James, the founder of uh, Om- Omniture, and just hear, hear his story. It's uh, one of the experiences that we had that we, haven't, we didn't really talk about a lot um, because we weren't doing it to talk about, but it's come to, over the years, mean a lot to employees and to potential employees and to other people. Is In just October of 2000, we uh, had something really bad happen to our company. And in December of 2000, about two weeks before Christmas, we had to let go 48 people. Because if you get 50, you were forced to pay severance, and we couldn't afford to pay severance. So 48 people, two weeks before Christmas, no severance. Horrible. Just the worst, worst day ever. And one of the things that we told the employees was, you know, if, if there's ever a chance, we'd love to, we'll try to pay your severance. We, we feel horrible. We can't pay you right now. We're trying to save the company. And then everyone will be out of a job. And unfortunately, we can't pay you anymore. But if we can, we will. So you hear that, you think, you know, if I'm one of the employees, I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah, like you're going you're gonna to remember to pay severance, you know, sometime later because you can't afford it now and you only laid off 48 people so you don't have to. And, oh, come on, you know, Merry Christmas to you too. Mm. So yeah. you get that sense of, of, of a lack of uh, depth, but you don't know this guy. And we're going to come back to him in a few minutes. Uh, with the rest of the story. So, Jonathan, um, one thing, an- another type of promise in the Scriptures, we're going we're to define this and we're going to go back to the phones. Another type of promise in the Scriptures is a covenant. That's right, Rick, and it means in the sense of cutting like a compact, uh, be- because made by passing between pieces of flesh. And what <laughs> is that about? <laughs> and in the old days, in the ancient days, when there was a solemn promise or covenant made between two parties, or two tribes, or two countries, or two individuals, what they would literally do is they would take an animal, uh, they would cut it in half. They would move one side to the left and one side to the right, and both parties making the promise would pass between the two halves of the animal as a symbol of their, their, their dedication to that promise. And their pledge to that promise, yeah. Yeah, now McClintock and Strong's uh, d- d- defines this a little bit more deeply. In making such a covenant, God was solemnly invoked as witness, in, as in Genesis, whence the expression, a covenant of Jehovah, uh, as in First Samuel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and an oath was sworn, um, as in Genesis, and according, a breach of covenant was re- regarded as a very heinous sin, as in Ezekiel. So this is not a promise to God, but this is a promise to men, but you are invoking God as a witness. And that's a serious thing. That's a serious thing, because now you are invoking God as a witness. You're going through this ritual, if you will. It's saying that I am absolutely, definitely making this covenant with you as an individual, and uh, nothing is going to get in the way. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have Psalm 7611. Make vows to the Lord your God and perform them. The Christian gets into trouble with promises, 
by making them casually or rashly, and then by trusting ourselves to keep a promise rather than strength from God. Genesis 22.2, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Abraham is ultimately able to provide for Isaac because he loves God more than the son he loves. Instead of worrying about the promises you have not kept, or worse, listing the promises broken to you, the Christian promises God and asks his help to keep commitments to mortals. Luke one thirty seven, for nothing will be impossible with God. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And, and you know, the interesting thing is he said, you know, sometimes Christians have problems because we make our promises casually or rashly. And both of those ways of making promises indicate a lack of seriousness and a lack of thought. Mm-hmm. And again, when we're making promises, these should not be things that are just spoken off the top of your head, but a promise should be something that is so valuable that when you promise, other people can walk away from that circumstance saying, well, Jonathan promised, so I know it's going to happen. Jonathan is going to do exactly what he said, and I have no doubt. that that When you have that going for you, there is a, a depth of character that shows and a respect that you end up being able to get from others because you are really, really focusing on doing what you say. Absolutely. Well, Rick, uh, Julia's kind of uh, primed the, the next topic um, being marriage, being such a solemn vow, uh, uh, the, probably the second greatest promise that we can make in God's, um, in God's sight. Yeah, and, and actually, in some, in, in some scriptures, and, and you know, if you see Seeker Yuan, the, the full edition, the bonus material, in some scriptures, marriage is called a covenant of Jehovah. Wow. And that is one of those covenants that you pass between the two halves of the body, because mm-hmm. you've called God in to witness the solemnity. And let's read Genesis 2, uh, let's read all of verses 21 to 24. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so that is the original uh, covenant uh, of Jehovah, if you will, um, that is between man and woman. And you're right, it is, you, you, you stated it correctly. When we make a vow to God, that is the most serious thing we can do. When we make a covenant of marriage or a covenant of Jehovah, that is a, an incredibly serious thing. Yes. And, so, and that's between two men or a man and a woman or two nations or, or whatever. Uh, let's go back, Jonathan, let's go back to Josh James, founder of uh, uh, Omniture. Remember at the beginning of the segment, uh, we listened to him, and he had a bad experience. His company almost went under. They had to lay off 48 people, but they couldn't pay them severance. Let's hear the rest of the story. And about uh, five years later, almost five years to the day, actually, uh, we were able to get checks out to all those people. And I, interesting, I just, uh, I just started a new company, and I was walking around meeting the employees, and one of those employees was one of the guys that got a check five years later. And, you know, to see that that, that made a difference to him and, 
and that he was excited about that and thought more positively about the company and and just kind of word spreads that you know people at Omniture and that management team they do care about people they take care of, take, take care of people and you do it because it's the right thing. That's amazing to me. That is. Five years later, when everybody would have forgotten about it, this man didn't forget about it, and he found a way because his company was now making enough money, and he sent out those checks. And that's a man of his word. And, you know, you can see, you know, that's the kind of person you want to work for. What integrity. It's amazing. And, and you know, that's the value of keeping our promises. Uh, let, let's look, Jonathan, at some of the some of the great promises of Scripture. There is David... Uh, speaking with Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, verse 8. And it mentions a covenant of Jehovah, just like we've been talking about. Therefore deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of Jehovah with thee. But if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? So these two had made a covenant of Jehovah between them, they, they had sworn their allegiance one to the other. They had sworn to take care of each other and to watch over each other because those were very, very tumultuous times. And they had this depth of friendship that was just hard to even fathom. It was. And Jonathan was next in line for kingship from his father. And, but he saw God's spirit, God's uh, loyalty to David, and he realized David was going to be the next king. Right, and he was willing for that to happen. Amazing. It is. It's amazing because they made a promise. And that's, that's the power of a promise. Another great promise in Scripture, Ruth 1, verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, and to return from following thee hereafter. For where, whether thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. So you have this, this, this connection, uh, and, and Ruth is saying, you know, wherever you go, uh, she's speaking to her mother-in-law, uh, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I am committed to you. And again, we don't see that depth of promise one to another in our world today. We don't. And folks, that's a travesty. Listen, if you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five four. All we are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower. To learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted, our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Also, check us out on Facebook. You can like us on Facebook. We'd love to hear your comments on Facebook as well. Proverbs 17.17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. (laughs) Kind of gives you a sense that when you have someone who is truly your friend, there is a, a depth of loyalty that is hard to fathom. Yes. And, folks, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want in our lives, to give to others as well as to receive from others, that depth of loyalty, which comes from keeping our promises? Let's go back to that, uh, that, that talk on the development or the, or I should say, the diminishing of promises and trust in American society. It was from Motel 168 TV, and the gentleman in the first hour had talked about um, how when you have founders of an organization, you have the passion and the why in front of you. But as time goes on, the passion and the why diminish, and people start to, to, to look to other sources, and they forget what they're, they're there for. How in the 1950s, you had a, a generation of great loyalty, and in the 1960s, there was a backlash. Let's listen. And we thought, well, this responsibility thing didn't work, so let's try irresponsibility. 
and the hippie movement was born, right? And the reason the whole hippie movement could exist in the first place is because the country was wealthier, so we could afford for people to drop off the grid, and our parents were wealthier, they were more affluent, so they could pay for us to do it. But we didn't get that sense of fulfillment. And so the pendulum swung again. So it's interesting. You know, their parents could afford for them to go off the grid and be irresponsible. How sad. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a sad thing because, you you know, you, you lose... When there's not something bigger than you in your life, you lose objectivity. And that's really where we've come to. And so here's the thing, Jonathan. No promises in life equals no responsibility in life. No responsibility in life equals no fulfillment in life. And down the tubes we go. Here's the opposite. John 15, 13, and 14. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one life, one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now that, as we go into a break now, Jonathan, the that... It's something that's bigger than all of them. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, are promises made to be broken? Coming up, has God ever broken a promise he made to individuals or to specific groups? Does God's timing look different than our expectations? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are Promises Made to be Broken? If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, in the last segment, we were talking about the kinds of promises we make to each other. And uh, a covenant was uh, one of the more serious types, especially the covenant of Jehovah, as it's called in Scripture. Um, and now, in this segment, we want to focus on the kinds of promises has, that God has made to individuals, nations, and specific groups. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's take a look at the kinds of promises God makes. But before we get started with that, again, I want to go back to that talk about the, the sort of the history of trust in America. And you can see that how, how it's, it's, it's going downhill, right? Absolutely. And you started with the greatest generation in the 1950s and their focus on, uh, or in the 40s rather, and their focus on um, a cause bigger than themselves, fighting a war. And, and then they brought that same loyalty to their companies, and now affluence started to creep in. And in the 60s, their children became very irresponsible. Why? Because they could afford to be irresponsible because mommy and daddy would pay for it. The, the passion seems to be disappearing here. Right, because it's now, there's no bigger cause, and now it's all about me. So our trustworthiness begins to dissolve. So now, let's see what happens to the 70s and 80s. And then we had the 1970s, the me generation, defined about looking out for your own happiness. And everybody had to have a guru, and it started to become very, very selfish. But that didn't really work either. And again, the whole time, we're becoming more affluent and more affluent, and yet that sense of fulfillment and happiness and trust is not growing with it. And then the 1980s, still that sense of me, but now business was cool again. And in the 1980s, we started to see something that had never been seen before. In the 1980s, we started to see companies using people to balance the books. This had never happened before, where they would use layoffs to make the numbers work. People to make numbers work. That's startling. Because, you know, I've never, I, I, I never thought of it that way, but that's true. In the 80s, you know, when companies would downsize and right-size, mm-hmm. 
the matter of, okay, we have to maintain profitability, get rid of these people. Before that, they would try to find other ways because the people were what was important to them. Good point. So in the 1970s and 80s, it now becomes all about me. Uh, and it's all about, you know, people in the 70s had to have a guru, a self-development guru, so they could be the best they could be. And we lost the focus on contributing to that which is bigger than ourselves. So it just gives you a sense that, and, and this is why promises are not kept anymore, Jonathan, because it's all about me, and it doesn't matter what I say to you, because it's really all about me. How sad. It is. It's, it's a tragedy. So let's take a look now at the promises of God to individual, uh, individuals. These are varied promises for blessing and consequence here that we're going to be reading. And folks, if you have a thought on promises kept or co- promises broken, uh, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Genesis 2, 16 to 17, is a promise from God. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That doesn't sound like a nice promise. (laughs) But he kept his word, didn't he? Well, and that's the point. And, and that's what we, even when the promise has to be something harsh, we must keep our word. Now, the, t- the timing, Rick, here, it might be hard to grasp, but uh, the scripture says a day to the Lord is a thousand years. Now, Adam lived to be, what, 936 years well, old? 930 years old. 30 right. years old. So, God kept his promise because he died within that thousand year day. Right. So it wasn't an instantaneous, he dropped dead. Right, right, right. And, and that's the way we'd see it. Uh, but uh, again, you're, you're right. You're looking at it from the standpoint of God. Let's look at another promise, and this is actually our theme scripture. And Jonathan, this is one of your favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Isn't it, it is. My wife engraved this in my wedding ring. Okay. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. See, that's a promise from God to individuals. If we acknowledge him in all of our ways, what does it say? He'll direct our paths. And that's, that's huge. He'll, he'll watch over our whole life in every detail. As long as we continually acknowledge him. Right. And so when we stop to continually acknowledge him... Guess we're what? Not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not keeping our end of the bargain. No, we're not. So again, it comes down to our word. Is my word my bond? Another great promise of Scripture that God gave to an individual is in Genesis twenty-two seventeen to 18. This is God and Ab- talking to Abraham. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Randall actually brought the Abraham account to our attention in the first hour. He did. Uh, And this is a promise from God to Abraham, basically saying that, because you have obeyed my voice. And again, when you think about it, the spoken word in Scripture is very much uh, in line with a promise. And this promise explains a lot, because it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right, right, right. So this promise basically was made, repeated several times through Scripture, and we believe it is one of the centerpieces of the entire plan of God, because like you keep saying, God keeps his 
work. Now, how about the promise uh, to Satan? God gave a promise to Satan that you know he could test or try Job any way he wanted, but he could not take his life. He followed through on that. He allowed Satan to do whatever he wanted to do. And Job came through and uh, proved himself to be faithful. Absolutely. And, and so you're, you're right. God has made several promises to several individuals at several times in history, and we always see that he, he follows through. And the question is, do we do the same? Do we follow through on our promises? Folks, if you have a thought, again, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Let's go back to our, our discussion, our talk that we've been listening to on the demise of trust and promises in American society. And we just listened a moment ago to, in the 1970s and 1980s, how it became all about me. And our society became focused internally rather than externally. And so once you have that happen, the next piece is actually a very predictable development. So let's listen to what happens in the 1990s up to now. And then the 1990s came about, and dot-com, about the most selfish behavior you could find. Everyone wanted to get rich regardless of anything else. And again, the split continues. The only thing that happens, the only thing that really grows in organizations or societies that go through a split is that the distrust increases. We've become distrustful of each other inside our own organizations. We've become distrustful of management. We've become distrustful of our politicians. And now we find ourselves here today wondering what's going to do next. How are we going to find the sense of fulfillment? Technology is no help. Andy Grove, the founder of Intel, said that the only thing that the microprocessor ever did was make things go faster. And we're going to touch on technology a little bit more, but see, Jonathan, this is, this is a really sad uh, uh, stopping point, if you will, is now the focus is, it's so much about me that I don't trust anyone or anything else. That's right. That selfishness and that greed is just everywhere. Right, and it's me, 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 my, 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 and because of that, whatever someone else is doing, we can't see ourselves being part of something bigger than ourselves because we've been taught and we believe and we want to believe that we are bigger than everything else. And that's just wrong. It's it is wrong. wrong place for us to be, and this is why we don't keep promises, folks, because our society has drilled out of our heads the value and the depth of promises made to others and the fact that our word should be our bond. How about, how about uh, God's promises to nations and specific groups? Okay, so we talked about individuals. Now, God, let's, let's look at some of the promises God has made to nations or individual groups. Amos 3, 1 and 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. <laughs> Another great promise from God. Oh, boy. You know, I know you, I love you, I care for you, and therefore, I will punish you. Um, so that was promise of God to Israel. God's promise to Israel based on his deliverance of them, and Israel's promise back to God. This is interesting. Let's go earlier in history, Exodus 19, 5 through 8. Remember, they've just been delivered from, from Egypt from years and years and years of slavery, and here they're in a position to forge their new nation. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 
and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God is telling Moses to tell the children of Israel that you keep my promises and I am going to take very, very, very special care of you. So what happened? So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God makes a promise, and the people make a promise back. Right. The problem is, God kept his, and the people didn't keep theirs. Right. <laughs> and, is, and again, so even in those days, when your word was your bond, you can see how difficult it was to, uh, to, to keep promises. And when we look at our society now, of course it's much more difficult. And, you know, I've been thinking about it, Jonathan, and that's why in, in, in Jesus' teachings he says that, uh, you know, every man is going to have to give an accounting for every idle word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That has a much deeper meaning today than it would have had back in Jesus' own day. Oh, that's a good point. Because most of our words now are idle. You're right. They just don't mean anything because there's no substance behind them. Let, let's go back to our, our, our story, our history of America our sad history of America. Uh, we just left off with the 90s up to now where distrust is now the reigning factor. And let's now see how technology contributes or does not contribute to the situation. Don't forget, technology is absolutely fantastic for the exchange of information and the exchange of ideas. Technology is absolutely wonderful for speeding transactions. It's wonderful for, for resourcing and finding people, but it is terrible for creating human connections. You cannot form trust through the internet. You cannot form trust through the internet. There's no human connection, right? Right. And that is huge when we understand why we don't keep promises, because so much of our communication, quote unquote, is through the internet and is not personal, that of course you're not going to, to, to forge bonds of trust, because you're not looking somebody in the eye. You're not giving them a handshake. You're not, you're, not, you're not part of their life. You're just bits and bytes on a, on a computer screen made up of ones and zeros. And, and that has nothing to do with trust and promises. God's promise to those who truly seek his protection and guidance. So now God, let's look at God's promises to, to those who are trying hard to follow him. And, and we don't have time for both of these scriptures, but just Psalm 91, 1-6. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High and shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty... I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So you have all of these ways that God will protect those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And Jonathan, this is a promise of incredible comfort for those of us seeking God's will and God's protection in our lives. It helps us to understand that what we want from life, we can get through God as long as we are as good as our word. And it's not just our word to God, it's our word to each other, it's our word to ourselves. So Jonathan, as we go into this break, and we're looking at the kinds of promises God has made to individuals, nations, and specific groups, we can see God is always 
as good as His Word. You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are Promises Made to be Broken? Coming up, what kind of promises did God make to all humanity? Was it believe in Jesus or else? What about the fact that God is love, which is based on justice and is rich in mercy? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Are Promises Made to be Broken? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Rick, our focus this last segment, what kind of promises did God make to all of humanity? All right, and that's a pretty broad subject, but it's a greatly exciting one. It is. And remember, a promise, to define a promise, a promise is a decision to transform a stated intention into a reality. So in this segment, Jonathan, we're going to look at the kinds of promises, the kinds of decisions God made to transform his intentions into reality. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's go back to this uh, this talk on the... the, the downgrading of trust in our society and where we've come and how technology certainly doesn't help the matter. And this next soundbite I found just absolutely fascinating and almost funny when, when, when you talk about uh, the idea that we're so technology-oriented, but we still need the human uh, connection. Let's listen. There's something called a mirror neuron, which they've recently discovered. That's one of the things that contributes to how people relate to each other and how we empathize. It's the feeling you get. It's the same part of the brain that lights up. They, they did these pictures where they did MRIs. They gave people a picture of someone smiling. And then in our own brains, when we see someone smiling, the same part of the brain lights up when we smile. It's what creates empathy. And it's necessary to create trust. Again, this very human bond. This is the reason why the video conference will never replace the business trip. You can't get a good gut feeling over a video conference. I'm a big fan of the blogger sphere. The bloggers think that the internet is the end-all, be-all of the world. Then explain to me why once a year, 20,000 bloggers descend on Las Vegas for a huge big convention. Why didn't they just do it online? <laughs> it's because nothing replaces human contact. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? It does. You know, you have those who are, are dedicated to, to the internet as their mode of communication, and yet once a year... They get together so they can see each other and look each other in the eye and talk to each other and share ideas and exchange. And because doing it online is different and it's less. And because we focus on that way of life, our promises are less. Our promises are not as valuable, and that is a travesty. We've lost the human connection. So let's look at God's connection to humanity here. God's promise, first promise, Jonathan, is God promised that he's smarter and wiser than us, and that he has ultimate integrity. Isaiah 55, 8-11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so God starts out by saying, look, I'm just bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, I'm smarter than you, and I'm better than you. And by the way, I made you. <laughs> yeah, detailed, detailed. Okay, so what happened? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God's first promise that we're touching on here, Jonathan, is basically he's saying, when I say something, it's going to happen. God can't lie. Right. It's not in his character. Right. He is not capable of, of not following through on what he does. And that, to, to me, that is the model of ultimate integrity. How comforting that is, Rick. It is. It is. Wouldn't, I mean, uh, what would you think of a God that you know, could change his mind and all of that and, and have you know, uh, just sort of a, a bipolar approach to life? <laughs> oh, that would be rough. <laughs> would. And that's not a God that you could easily trust. Now, prophecy, Jonathan, is a kind of promise from God. What prophecies do is they tell us that God knows and God cares. Let's look at some. Zephaniah 3, 8, and 9. Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I arise as a witness. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all the heat of my anger. For in the fire of my passion, all the earth shall be consumed. Okay, and that's a promise from God. And you say, well, that's not a very nice promise. Uh, That's scary. It is, but you know what? It's a just promise. We don't have time to go into why it's a just promise, but it is a very just promise. But is God talking about the consuming of the earth like in a ball of fire? Well, I guess we'd have to continue on to find out where where the rest of the context is going here. Okay, read the next verse then. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So, God is not saying, I'm going to make the earth a place for crispy critters. No, he's not. What he's saying is that I'm going to destroy the way the earth is run now. Well, think about it. If Satan is the prince of this world, then the governments and false religions are his. Yes. And how how can God work with that? (laughs) Well, and, and you're right, he can't. So, what does he have to do? He has to pull them down and take them apart. Right. And so, by doing so they can then be replaced yes. with something that is godly because God promised. And he talks about this, I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. You have a, an incredible worldwide unity that is being described here in Zephaniah 3.9. And all the languages will go back to one where everyone will understand. Yes, change the speech of the people to a pure speech. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how much is in that one little verse. It really is. God promised that his promises are always on time and complete. And, you know, you talked earlier about how, like, with Adam, the day you eat the fruit, you die. Right, which was that thousand year. Date of the Lord is a thousand years, yeah. So when we say God's promise is always on time, we have to make sure we're remembering they're always on time from his perspective. Not ours. Right, right. Mm. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, so some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. All right, so, and, and here's the thing. It says the Lord is not slow about his promise, and we look around and say, oh yeah? Does he realize how bad it is right now? Yes, he does. And that's the point. He does, and he has an ultimate plan that is so much bigger than the difficulty we experience in this moment. See, to us, a moment 
is everything. You're you're right. We want it now, Rick. Right. right. But think about this: the thousand years, if that's God's perspective, is one day, and you put all all these other things together. The day of judgment. Well, guess what? That's not a twenty-four hour day right. of judging every man, woman, and child that ever lived. That's within that thousand year concept. Now, also, we we learn that Satan will be bound a thousand years. It all fits together. Yeah, it really does, and, and, and it's in God's time, and again, his promise is that his promises are always on time. Yes. So, and they're always completed. God's promise also that uh, with necessary destruction of sin also comes the foundation of righteousness. You've got to destroy the first before you can get the second. Second Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its work will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? So again, you look at that and say, well, boy, it sure sounds like it's all going to get crispy. But again, you look at that and you see that that is actually very much related to that Zephaniah scripture. It really sounds so similar. Well, and Peter was probably quoting Zephaniah and just expanding it. And what he's saying is that, look, this is a necessary destruction for a necessary uh, um, infusion of righteousness. You cannot infuse righteousness on top of unrighteousness. Good point. That would not be sound. So for the promises of God to come true, they have to have a righteous base. And just like for our promises, if our promises to each other are going to come true, they have to be based in righteousness. And, and let's read verse 13 of Second Peter 3. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. So again, you have a sense that God's plan is to extricate all of the evil from the earth and bring something new and exciting in, and that will be the new heavens and the new earth. And and that word new is a renewed, uh, when you look into the Greek, and that reminds me of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All right, and let's go to one last time to our talk about uh, the, the demise of trust in our society. And, you know, in the last one he was talking about mirror neurons, in the human brain that really uh, help us to link to other people. Let's just finish that thought. A friend is not somebody you check their status. Your network is not on LinkedIn. A conversation doesn't happen on a blog, and you can't have a discussion on, a, on Twitter. These are human experiences, and we need them. We need to learn about each other's values and beliefs, and we can't simply do it through the Internet. These mirror neurons don't light up when we're sending texts or receiving IM messages. So, Jonathan, that is a warning for us to focus our deepest and strongest attention on one another to the, in, in a personal sense. Yes. And not in a technological sense. Even though technology is easy and convenient, you're missing something. And when you focus and rely only on technology, you forget about trust because you can't have both working uh, together. Last promise, Jonathan, from God. Uh, a true opportunity for all, Micah 4, 1 to 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. 
Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, again, when you look at a prophecy like this, you see that it's set in the context of the earth. Yes, it is. And it's talking about many nations. It's talking about lots and lots and lots and lots of people from different walks of life coming together. And learning God's way. Yes. And why would they want to learn God's way? Because the answer is because God is the father of integrity. He invented integrity, and he shows us his integrity in his plan for all of mankind. No matter what we decide to do with it, his integrity is such that we are that, that it, it focuses us and it teaches us how to have integrity one with another. Let's let's finish up this verse. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But every one shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And what a great way to end. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. God's word is his bond. That's right. What about us, folks? As, as we wrap this program up today, we'd love to get your comments on Facebook. If you want to email, you can do it at rick at christianquestions.net. Um, we would love to hear your, your comments and reactions about promises and about our world today. And Jonathan, the bottom line is this. We went through a history of American thinking over the last 60 years or so. Yes, we did. What we saw was there was a time when there was something bigger than the individual that all of society gathered around in, and, and, and in support of. And that's why the generation of the 1940s was called the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. What's happened since then is they did such a good job uh, in, in being dedicated that their children decided that, well, you know, my parents are responsible. I don't have to be responsible. So you had the 60s come in. Then in the 70s and the 80s, you had an era of it's all about me. And the further we get away from being dedicated to something bigger than ourselves, the further we get away from the value of promises and the value of true trust between human beings. We are now at a point where not only is it only just about me, but now we don't trust others. And it's interesting, in the political arena, reading an article where in the last 10 years, uh, the most distrusted presidents on both sides are George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Oh, wow. (laughs) It says is we are divided because we have lost our way when it comes to promises. Folks, focus on making promises and keeping them and making sure we put it all in a proper perspective. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Question. We've enjoyed being with you today. We hope you've enjoyed uh, being with us. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But until then, promises are made to be kept. Look at it. Focus on it. Decide and keep your word. Till next week, think about it.